the skills you, stop right there. of a dangerous man. I need to know what went wrong. I think he snapped. But he has no memory. We don't take care of this. We will both burn. It's trained. Conditioned. Built to disappear. I'll give you $10,000 to drive me to Paris. I get the money, and I don't get hurt. That's a deal. Now, the government's top agent. I can't remember anything that happened before two weeks ago. Abijah? Yes. Is about to become their number one target. What's in Paris? It's a name, Jason Bourne. Let's see if the Paris police can find him for us. And the only way he can survive... Talk a lot. Find out who he is. I guess you're not home. Monsieur Bond. I don't recognize any of this. I don't recognize any of this. Before they find out. Get the address. I think I got it. Enhance. Where he is. Get everybody up. I want them all activated. Do it now. What is it? Something wrong? We can't stay here. It's not safe. Out of control. It's very clear what needs to happen. Based on the international bestseller. I don't want to know who I am anymore. From Universal Pictures. You got to get as far away from me as you can. What are you going to do? Danger. I have everything they put inside me. Is everything I ever learned. All of it. Born. I'm going to make it stop. Identity. What is it? It's time to go back. Welcome. Welcome back to Generation S. It is a podcast about growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s. I'm Dan Kemp, joined by a brand new uh, newcomer to the show, but longtime listener and a good friend of mine for the last few years, Mr. Odian Levy. He is also a future best-selling author, and I hope I didn't jinx it. Odian, what's up, man? Oh, not much, man. Thank you for uh, inviting me to your podcast. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Well, listen, and and apologies that it's taken so long to get you on the show. We've been talking about doing something together, I think, pretty much since I started doing the show, because you've, I mean, every, and I so appreciate you, you've listened to, I think, probably pretty much every episode, and you always give me really good, you know, feedback on it, and always give me great show ideas that I've absolutely used in the past. And so I'm glad that we finally got one that we could come together with, not only to talk about for the podcast, but also a chance for you to, um, you know, talk about you. You do have a, a novel coming out. Uh, very excited about that hummingbird. Um, so we will absolutely be talking about that in greater detail, um, you know, later in the show, because it does parallel with our topic today, which is going to be the born, uh, the born identity movies. Well, I guess just the born movies, the born trilogy, uh, with Matt Damon. Uh, but before we jump into all that, uh, why don't you give me your elevator pitch for the, for the audience here? What is hummingbird about in a nutshell? Yeah. So hummingbird is my debut novel. Um, the series is about Kim Fenton. She's a CIA operative that's trying to break up a, uh, human trafficking ring, um, while trying to break up this human trafficking ring, she's finding herself in a bit of an espionage situation similar to Jason Bourne. 
where she has to fight against a system um, that is trying to take down the the government that we know. All right. Well, there it is. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, and that's I I love that because that's like I, it gives me like, uh, you know, just like Tom Clancy type vibes or, you know, that kind of general genre, which is. I don't know. You can't go wrong with it, man. I feel like it's one of those timeless, like you could literally set it in any time period and it works because there's always going to be struggles like that. You know what I mean? Exactly. So awesome. Um, all right. Well then, yeah, as I mentioned, we are talking all about the Bourne trilogy today. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of what led up to the Bourne trilogy in terms of the movies that came before it, maybe in the, the eighties, the seventies, I guess we'll start even with like the sixties, um, you know, with the kind of the, the, the beginning of spy movies, you know, obviously, you know, the first thing I think of with spy movies um, in terms of chronologically is, you know, you got to go with the James Bond series, right? Of course. Uh, so out of the 26, how many, how many are there at this point? Oh man, there's probably more than, than 26. I know Ian Fleming started off as a, a book series that then yes. became the movie series. So yep. I know the books go on even further than the actual movies though. Yeah, so I, I know there's at least five because I remember I forget which one it was. They hyped it. I was like, oh, it's Bond twenty five. That was like the code word before they gave it the name. Mm-hmm. Um, out of though, like, how many of you? See, I'm, I'm going to confess, I haven't seen a lot of Bond movies. What about you? I've seen a couple. So like, Ian Fleming um, was inspired to write the James Bond novels in Jamaica, which is uh, my my family's homeland. So he's like a bit of a local celebrity there. Um, oh, like nice. Goldeneye, Casino Royale, stuff of that nature. So. Uh, as a Jamaican, I have to watch all the Sean Connerys. Um, oh, of course, yeah. I like watching them in today's day and age because you see how like he has a camera that's like the size of a Hershey's bar, and he's like, oh, how'd you get the camera so small? I'm like, oh man, <laughs> how far we've come. <laughs> oh, with, with the gadgets, but honestly, I, I, I mean, I, I think on the on the flip side, a lot of it hasn't aged well, just in terms of how James Bond like treats women and stuff like that. But just looking at it from like a technology standpoint. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. Um, I say the only one that I've seen start to finish from Sean Connery is Goldfinger, which I feel like that's probably his most, maybe not his most famous, but for me, it's his like, like that's what I think of with James Bond is gold. I think of Goldfinger and then I think of Goldeneye like 30 years later. Those are the yeah. two that I think of with James Bond for me. Um, do you have, what is, what would you say is your favorite Bond film? Um, Probably Dr. No. That's probably one that's that's, okay. that's up there. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's a, a room with a view, a room to kill. Um, it's the one where uh, Christopher Walken's the villain, only because. Oh, okay, that it, was yeah, because that was what that had to be like mid to late eighties. Yeah, right? that was was that Roger Moore or was that the that guy was, who took over after Roger? Moore? That was Roger Moore. And, okay, and the the, the fu- what was so funny is that he made like a computer chip that's supposed to like super powerful to take over the world. And that was like this big deal. And I'm like, wow, by today's standards, that computer chip couldn't outdo our phones. But hey, there <laughs> <Yeah>. we go. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. Because again, you you know, and, and it is fun to kind of like pick a random Bond film to watch and just see what was the, you know, the pinnacle of even borderline futuristic technology of the age. And you look at it now, and you're like, oh, geez, that doesn't. So I'm wondering, like, you know, some of the later films, that, like the Daniel Craig movies, what what in, what in those is going to look totally silly, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, right? as far as technology goes. Um, now, you know, so the Bond film started in the, in the sixties, I guess, technically rooted in the 1950s really. Um, but let's talk also, cause I mean, we're going to get into like some of the later spy stuff and then we're going to obviously talk Bourne. Um, there's another series we, 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 you know, we took some notes before we started talking here and there's a series that you listed that I've heard of, but I've never seen. It was from over across the pond in England. We're talking about not Marvel, but it's called the Avengers, which was an espionage series in England. Um, 
What's the deal there? I've never seen it before. Have you watched it? I've watched uh, bits and pieces. So what happened was that they were spy crazy. So you had okay. the man from Uncle, uh, you had James Bond and the Avengers. And so the Avengers was a male female pairing that had like an episodic thing where they every episode they were fighting some crime of uh, okay. using spy stuff. Um, who was who was the lady from Kill Bill? Oh, t- tip my tongue. Um, not Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. She played. Yeah, yeah. There was an Avengers movie that came out in the early two thousands. Oh, based okay. off of that, and Uma Thurman played the female lead. So you can only imagine how confusing it was when um, friends of mine they was like, "Oh yeah, you know, we're gonna get the Avengers," and they thought it was already out at Blockbuster. And it oh wasn't right, yeah, because it was the old Uma Thurman one. Oh, geez. Now, okay, because when I think of the Avengers, I don't think of this. I think of Marvel, right? Like, mm-hmm. when you think of the Avengers, like, do you think of this first? Um, Thankfully, I, I read the comic books first, and I actually okay. was confused when I was a child, because when I saw the TV show, I was waiting for Spider-Man or somebody to show up. And I'm right. like, they're just doing spy stuff. But I think what happened was, like, James Bond kind of made it where spies have fun gear and cool cars and then other people kind of follow that format and this Avengers yeah. was just like an episodic version of it yeah that well, and that makes sense because then you had you know uh, you know and I can't was this a, a British series or was it an American series the Mission Impossible not the, before the movies you had the TV series Mission Impossible was that British or was that American I want to say it was it may have been British to begin but I want to say it was on CBS because I remember seeing ads for it when I was a kid yeah okay I think you're right because I mean I never I've never seen it but I know that's what the movies were based off of was you know the, the, the show essentially mm-hmm. um, and the same thing you know you had the uh, you know the high stakes operations where they're really pulling off these crazy heists you know they're wearing cool disguises you know they got this squad of people working together so again you're just kind of building on what started with like james bond and and obviously stuff before then but james bond i think really brought it to the mainstream um and then that takes you into you know the 80s and the 90s where you start seeing you know the spy genre kind of evolve and then almost you know eventually parody itself you know with austin powers but before we get to austin powers you know we did have a you know a live action you know you know feature length film for mission impossible with with tom cruise that i have seen by the way and i love it i think it's fantastic um and then uh, and then again we get you know you get that Austin Powers trilogy that really you know just looking through the notes here for for James Bond and the Avengers like yeah it's there's it had so much material to pull from to be able to parody you know with with really just kind of mocking the spy genre I mean what are your thoughts on Austin Powers like do you is, are you a fan of the trilogy I'm I'm a fan of the trilogy I don't know if you remember Get Smart but I always said that Get Smart had to walk so Austin Powers could run because there it is yeah you know was, he took it to I, a whole other level with Austin Powers. I just remember that show because it had the voice of Inspector Gadget as yes. the guy who played um, Maxwell Smart. So that's I love that. And then, of course, there was the movie that came out in like the mid 2000s with Steve Carell. What did you think of that movie? I I was wish, wishing they, they stuck to more of the format from the yeah. TV show. Uh, Don Adams is the character you're thinking of. And he's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's a really great uh, character actor. He did a really good job with both Inspector Gadget and with uh, Maxwell Smart. I didn't think they did him justice in that movie, but um, as far as like Austin Powers, I think he took it to that next level to make it um, a British spoof. And the fact that he just just eloquently like phrased everything perfectly, like he's stuck in a bubble so he can be as poorly as James Bond used to be. Right. And still right. like in his own way. Um, my favorite part was when uh, Dr. Evil tried to take over the world. He's like, oh, I'm holding the world houses for a million dollars. Everybody's like, OK, 
I mean, how much more do you need? We can give you that right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not really a lot of money these days, you know? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately for my wife, uh, that is a movie that I can quote line in verse, and I do it far too often. So, <laughs> um, like, just random things. Like, she'll be like, what is, who left out this, uh, you know, this leftover, you know, sandwich? She'll be like, that's not mine. <laughs> Honestly, baby, that's not mine. Um, and I'm absolutely going to be doing an Austin Powers uh, episode on this podcast because it's one of my favorite film series of all time. Now, of the three Austin Powers movies, which is like your favorite? Like, how would you rank them? Um, I would put the third one last, the second yeah. one first, and the okay. first one uh, second, only because I think number two did a really good job of taking that concept going one step further with the yeah. daddy issues and everything. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't believe how well they were able to pull off a sequel because I really came in with like low expectations because I saw Austin Powers on VHS because it wasn't something you normally saw was a good spy spoof. Oh, right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I yeah, I think I was either VHS or I might have even seen it on like HBO or something. I I, I was too young to be seeing it in theater i was 10 when it came out so mm-hmm. like i was in pg-13 movie my mom was not going to take me to it i know when the second one came out i was a little older and i know that like it was a big thing in the news where kids were skipping school to go see the spy who shagged me yeah um and i still i didn't see it until it was on vhs at that point but loved it um i saw the second one first and then i watched the first one afterwards so but i'm trying to think of which one i, I it's probably a tie honestly i think Two has the edge because of Fat Bastard yes. over one. I think that's the main edge. I think some of the jokes are funnier in the first one, just, you know, personally, as far as like just the, some of the, the one liners and everything like that. But um, and then the third one, I, I don't know. It, it's fine. I think it's a distant third, though. I think they were trying a little too hard at that point to uh, to make it work a third. And who knows? Because there's talk of them making a fourth one. I don't know if they could do it at this point, though. What do you think? I think he could possibly do it, but he would be like, PC version of Austin Powers because like yeah. where we are now stuff that we found funny back then is just not the case and so yeah. I don't think he would have the same appeal my favorite line I think is from number number one I use it all the time you can only guess when I use it is that uh, who does number two work for and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my wife gets mad every time I say, all right we get it <laughs> you tell that turd who's boss yeah <laughs> Yeah, man. Oh, uh, yeah. I I agree though. I don't know if it could work. I think I think we could definitely get another spy parody, but it's got to be something different, right? Yeah. It's got to be something new. So, all right. Before we jump into the boring movies, let's talk about its star in Matt Damon because you know before we started recording, we we talked about this. He was not an action star. Uh, before the Bourne series. And quite frankly, I'd argue he really hasn't been much of an action star since. Uh, I think this was his like total pinnacle of being seen as like a badass. Um, so before that, I mean, he, I think, got famous for like Goodwill Hunting, right? You know, yeah. that was like really defi- the defining moment in his early career. Um, you know, of course, you know, alongside Ben Affleck, you know, that was their thing. He won, you know, won the Academy Award. Like, so it's, it was good, right? Um, but what was I'm trying to think what, what came out after that? That was because it was Goodwill Hunting in '97. The '98 was um, the Saving Private Ryan. Yes, Saving Private Ryan, yeah. where he was literally, you know, Ryan. Yeah, right? he was he Ryan. Was, <laughs> he was Ryan, which meant that he did not lift a finger. He was just waiting to be rescued. Um, so, fun fact about that movie, by the way, because it's one of my favorite movies. Did you know? And, and you probably did. But did you know that he actually like? So they put all of the other like actors, like Tom Hanks and all those guys, through like legit basic training and basically made them super miserable and then they purposefully kept matt damon away from all that and just let him stay in the hotel so that when they actually rescued him there was like legit hostility like 
this mother, he sat on his ass while we busted our asses to come get him. Like, I think it was like literally played up for, uh, you know, for the film. I've Did you that, ever hear about Yeah, I've heard yeah. that story before. What I found um, interesting is like the meme that we have of Matt Damon when he goes from young to old. Only ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ages. And I, I, I remember preparing for this and going, that's literally the only like major scene in that movie. But when you look at the credits, like he's up there as far as top build. Yeah, no, he's right at the end there. That's the sure. thing. Yeah, he's but he's he's seen as this like mainstream. Yeah, which is I think ridiculous. And Vin anyway. Diesel's in that movie, and he didn't get he is nearly as much credit for what he did in the movie. No, Vin Diesel, Tom Sizemore was in that movie. Yep. There was a lot of good. I mean, and like up and coming, like future famous actors were in that movie. I'm trying to think. I, I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head, but I know there was quite a few. Um, it definitely would you know helped you know get exposure for a lot of those guys. Um, so along with that, in the late '90s, he had the Rainmaker, where he was you know a lawyer. Um, it was a you know. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola directed is based on the John Grisham book that I actually did read. It was a good book. Um, he plays an attorney. And then uh, here's one that I think uh, for me made him believable as like somebody who could be intimidating, you know, not necessarily a badass, but intimidating. I'm talking about the talented Mr. Ripley, right? Mm-hmm. Like that movie. I mean, he plays a very good, almost too good of a, like a sociopath almost. Right. Yeah. So I thought that was great. And then, of course, he was in Dogma, right? You know, with, uh, you know, again, with with Ben Affleck, a fantastic movie, uh, you know. And then what else? What else came out before? He did uh, Ocean's Eleven. Oh, shit. That's right. Not a, yes. not a major character in Ocean's Eleven. What's funny to me is like similar to uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, where nobody thought he could do it because he didn't do any action before it. I felt the same way when he got the Bourne series. I was like, the guy from Dogma is going to be an action hero? Really? Like, did right. you guys see Dogma? <laughs> yeah well that and what else like heath ledger is the joker there's so many times where like people are like early hell let's go back further michael keaton is batman right they're like really beetlejuice okay and he knocked it out of the park man so um so let's let's just so do you want to i mean i guess we'll just kind of go through you know like what was out at the time that it was kind of competing with in the box office right so um you know because it came out in 2002. So what else was out in 2002? I'm trying to think. There was some, I mean, that was a pretty big year for movies, if I yeah, recall Yeah, so correctly. it's a perfect segue that Spider-Man actually came out. The first one came out that year. Oh, yeah, um, okay. That was the movie that, like, rocked all the box offices. Um, we had the second Men in Black, which I felt fell flat. And I didn't watch the second episode of um, Star Wars either, but that also came out that year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I saw that later. It was okay, yeah. Same thing a minute, but yeah. So actually, yeah, there's a lot of sequels. Yeah. Um. You know, because then he all, like Lord of the Rings came out around then too, right? I think that was the second. Uh, the yeah. two towers had come out that year, so yeah. I mean, you got another. Now, I'd say probably that was like the tentpole film of the year, um, as far as that goes, that or Spider Man. But um, and then of course you had uh, what else? Shit, there was Minority Report. That's what I was thinking of. That Tom Cruise one, um, where he like you know is trying to stop people from. Predict, not predicting the future. It's like a the future whole idea crimes. Of like future crimes. Yeah. yeah, it was like a Philip K. Dick novel or something. I think, yeah. So initially. it's 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 loosely based on Philip K. Dick. I remember reading the book. Um, I think what's interesting is that they they the three entities like live in a pool and then they like push out these wooden balls that have like the crime that you did on it, and yeah. so then he has to kill them before doing the crime. And so I remember watching that before see or before seeing the Born Identity going like. I don't know if this is going to be the future of action because that's like, you're literally stopping somebody for to commit the crime in hopes that they're going to become the evil person that you think they're going to be. 
Right, which is like a self-fulfilling prophecy or whatever. I don't know what you'd call that, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, so needless to say, there was definitely a ton of you know power at the box office, and so out comes this this brand new spy movie. So okay, I, I again, I was probably fourteen, almost fifteen when this movie came out. I wasn't really, I wasn't hyped for. It. I never saw it in theaters. Like, when, when did you know about this? Like, had you seen trailers? Like, wh- how did you hear about this film, The, the Born Identity? So I remember seeing the trailers for it, and like I said, the guy from Dogma is literally on it. Because back in the day, you remember what they used to do with tell you trailers? Uh, the star from whatever movie. And so they said the right. star from Saving Private Ryan and Goodwill Hunting. And I'm like, I, I mean, I wouldn't say the star of Saving Private Ryan, but okay. And so <laughs> when you saw like the action sequences, it felt different because it was. Um, yeah. If you pay attention to the cinematography before in other spy movies like we talked before they normally do like these wide angle shots and you see like the whole world around it but Bourne did all these tight uh, uh close shots and in filmography it's it's um you get the the action the delivery and the response and so basically he they, they filmed it in three angles so you'd see Bourne go to throw a punch then the camera angle would change to the punch connecting and then it would change again to see the person's reaction where yep. before it would just be like, if you remember the matrix, it just was this wide screen and you would see it all in one frame. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a very interesting way of doing it. When I, I remember first seeing it, it was kind of jarring at first. Cause I wasn't used to that fast quick pace. camera cuts. Yeah. Yeah. But then I, I like, it actually works cause it makes you feel more engaged and you don't get lost in what's going on in the background or whatever. You're just right there in the center of the action. So for me, when I saw the trailer and everything and I saw how quickly it was cut, I'm like, okay, maybe it's just a good trailer. And when I started getting into the movie, I'm like, oh, no, this carries out throughout the movie. I'm really surprised. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I think it because I feel like it's overused now in action movies, right? The quick cuts and it's often used to like hide somebody's inability to like throw a fake punch or whatever, too. Because I, I, I think of one, I can't remember if it was like one of the Taken movies, but it was Liam Neeson trying to jump over a fence. And oh, it's like, man. That's everyone a- makes fun of it. That's the first thing um, came to my mind. <laughs> yeah, we're like, I mean, how many times is a camera cut to him just climbing over like a six foot fence? Like it's like embarrassing looking because like it's supposed to be this big action thing or you know based on the camera cuts and it's really just Liam Neeson climbing a fence. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I think this was one of the first films to really kind of take advantage of that that filming style, but it works right because. First off, it makes Matt Damon believable as a guy that could kick your ass, you know, which in and of itself, I'd say, is a true accomplishment in filmmaking. Um, but it does it, it just, you know, it's so jarring that like you literally are like you're almost on the it just that kind of heightens your own senses. Like you, you almost tense up because you're like, oh, this is just coming at me so fast and you can't really process it all as it's happening. Yeah, because, you know what I mean? It's cutting so quickly. So um I don't know, man. Do you want to like go into the actual like plot elements of the film, or do you want to just kind of talk through like your thoughts on the movie overall? What do you think? Oh, we'll go through the plot elements, and then wherever we go, we go. Because like, for yeah, me, the start was different. Um, so yeah. you have him floating in water. He has amnesia. You know as much as he do- does. So it kind of puts you in the same spot that where he's trying to discover what's going on. He has like a beeping beacon with like there's like a little red dot under his skin. And he's trying to do surgery on himself to remove it. And so I remember sitting in the theater and like, everybody's confused. This is not how an action movie starts. This right. is not how a spy thriller starts. He is the worst spy ever because he's unconscious in the first five seconds of the movie. But when he goes throughout his life and tries to like piece things together, he finds out where he used to live. He found that he had a, uh, a security deposit box and in it had all these passports and assumed identities. And it was like, once he saw that, you as the audience came as aware as he was of how 
crazy of an action person he could be. And that's when he had his first like breakout fight. And I yep. think at that point we were sold that he definitely was the guy to be. Right. Yeah. Well, cause yeah, he like, basically he's like, wait, Oh shit. I know Kung Fu or whatever, you know, like he doesn't realize he knows how to fight. And then it just it, like his instincts kick in and like, Oh yeah. Okay. This, this is good. Like, this is going to be awesome. Um, because yeah, he, he travels to, you know, to Zurich and he, you know, he tries to figure out what's going on with this. He's got like this bank account number, you know, that is embedded in his hip. He's trying to get that money. I and mean, all of a sudden he finds all his stuff. It's like, it almost reminds, you know what it reminds me of in a totally different way, but like total recall where Arnold goes to Mars and is like, he realizes he's this whole other person that has his own stuff there. And he's like, Whoa, okay, this is interesting. So I almost, I almost wonder if that like, you know, inspired this a little bit of like, just kind of like not having him, you know having no memory of your past and like discovering all this crazy shit. I do think that it, that you can say it got inspiration from it. Cause like you said, just like with total recall until he went to the recall machine, right? There was no way that he was just the regular, regular everyday guy. Yeah. Um, I do find the part that was the most interesting to me is that the trope of amnesia is that you have it and then you slowly lose it. And all of a sudden you go back to being your person. He never goes back to that person. Like whatever no. happened before is just gone. Right. Yeah. No. And you never and he just has to figure it out and it never because so I've and I've only seen the first one. I've never mm. seen the other two. So it never clicks for him like who he was before all this. No. And that's what's so funny. So what happens in this movie, um, he was supposed to assassinate uh, this dictator before he had his amnesia. And so I will say the first time I saw it, it was so disjointing. I didn't understand where it fell into. But what you end up finding out was that he was supposed to kill the guy. And that's how he got thrown off the boat. And that's how he was there at the beginning of the movie. Uh, cause there's like series of like disjointed flashbacks. So you figure that piece out on your own. And yeah. so the, the, the climax is that as he gets to the person trying to go kill him, he's like holding his child and he makes the decision. Like, I'm not going to go through with this. And he goes on his, his way. And that's when Treadstone, everybody's like trying to get rid of him. But it was almost like you kind of, I kind of wish now that we live in the day where everything has a prequel or whatever, that there was a prequel to show what kind of person he was before he became this because if he's this great now with amnesia how great would he be if he actually had his mission right yeah exactly so yeah i mean so throughout the movie obviously he's trying to like kind of put together the pieces of his identity while never actually like having it click and then so he's part of a like a i remember he's like part of like a covert agency he's like an, like you said he's an assassin mm -hmm. and then you know he's so so I, I again it's been so it's been a while since i've seen it man so take me through it how do we how do we kind of get to the end of this film so what's so weird about the movie is that like it's a failed mission and somehow through all the back and forth, he realized he has to kill this guy. And like I said, he doesn't do it. And so what's wrong is that Treadstone is like, all right, he didn't assassinate this guy. Um, so we're going to have to kill him born and kill the guy to put status quo back. Obviously born gets away, but the thing that bothers me the most about the other spy movies, which made me feel more grounded with Jason Bourne was the car chase scene. He drove off in a mini Cooper. Every right. spy movie before that was like Jaguars and Aston Martins, always these fancy, sexy looking cars. Yeah. And Jason Bourne fell in love with this girl who he later married or not marries, but gets with at the end of the movie. And she owns just a Mini Cooper. And so in owning that Mini Cooper, he's like, hey, um, I need to drive this car. Uh, we're being chased. I guess this is how we're going to have our chase scene. And it was fantastic like you would not believe yeah. that a mini cooper could do the things that it did and i remember um after that you had the uh was it the italian job the remake and yes same thing right it was mini cooper it's the same thing mini cooper i remember watching the the italian job going ah born did it better born did it way better <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, it's funny too, is I can't, I remember this, one of my best friends in high school drove a Mini Cooper and I'm pretty sure it was from either this or the Italian job. Like there were so many Mini Coopers that just came out of the woodwork in like the mid 2000s because of these movies, I feel. I would say it's more so the Italian job because the Mini Cooper that he drove in that movie was from the, the 80s and it was not attractive. It was really beat down. Yeah. Um, but he, the other thing was, is that the, um, the, the, the driving, if you remember seeing the movie, he drove down like back alleyways, side streets. He drove like on a dock in one of the movies. Yep. And it's like he didn't follow the, the, the normal type and shadow you get for a spy with all the sexy toys and the doodads and the, and the getaway vehicle. And it was literally like, oh, look, there's a book on the ground. That's now my weapon. And that was something that made him uh, more obtainable as a spy or a, an operative because – I can't imagine walking around. You've played those video games where the guy has like 15 guns or whatever to go through the mission. And oh, as yeah. a kid, I was like, I don't see how you could carry all those things. And when I watched Jason Bourne. I'm like, I think that's more what would happen in real life. This guy. Right. Yeah. You know, you use your environment or what, you know, it's yeah, I, I agree. It's so I guess, I mean, obviously there's a lot of unbelievable stuff in it, but the way they present it is like, oh, this could happen. Or, you know, as far as like the, you know, the, the, the fight scenes and things like that. So. Yeah, and that that's the Bourne identity, which was more yeah. of a, um, I guess, the introduction to it. Now, the, the follow-up to that was the Bourne Supremacy was more of a, a thriller. So it was almost like a, not a total abandonment of the original storyline, but it was more yeah. suspenseful-driven. Well, let's talk through that. I mean, so I, that, t- I what two years later? So the Bourne Supremacy came out in two thousand four. Uh, you know, in the in theaters, you had Spider Man two. So again, it's competing against Spider Man. You had a brand new Pixar film in The Incredibles. Uh, you had Harry Potter uh, Part three. You had Anchorman. So I mean, you had again some heavy hitters here, and now you've got a movie coming in with some momentum from the first film. So you've got the Bourne Supremacy again. I've never seen this one or the third one, so you're you're gonna have to try this again. So what's the deal with the Bourne Supremacy? So funny about the Bourne Supremacy, I saw the Bourne Identity by myself, and when it came out on VHS and, and DVD or whatever, I kept trying to get people to come watch it. But yeah. when Supremacy came out, it was almost like I didn't have to pull people to go see it. They're like, I have to see this. Like, how is this guy so awesome? So the movie ends with him leaving with his girlfriend, and in the first 10 minutes, she gets killed. Oh, geez. Okay. So yeah. it, it's like, <clears throat> think of like John Wick and his dog dying, and that drove him to do like all the killings in this movie. Yeah. They, they were trying to get rid of Jason. She's in the car with him. The car gets, uh, they knock the car over a bridge. He's trying to get her out. He can't get her out. She dies. He gets out the water. He sees the guy who knocks him out the water. He makes eye contact with him and he's like, you're dead. And yeah, that's how the movie like kicks off. And I remember sitting there going like very beginning. Oh, he's happy. Everything's great. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. And so, so. So she, she, you know, you kill off the one of the main characters, which I that's a I feel like that's a classic cinematic trope, right? You know, to, in a sequel, is you kill off the main character, to think, oh, nobody's safe, right? You yeah. know, it's like anyone anyone could die, um, and I'm sure it probably you know sets that same feeling, you know, with this film as well. So, so what's the general kind of plot of, of the second one then? What's 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 it revolve around? So what I feel bad for about Jason is that in the first movie he didn't kill um. The the, the 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 his the person he was trying to get up that's why he was knocked unconscious and in this movie they're mad that he's still alive and so the CIA do a hit um and in doing this hit tada they didn't do a good job and yeah. so when they go up to um I think his name is Ward Abbott is the name of the, the character and he goes yeah you're supposed to bump off um this this uh, million dollar deal or whatever what's going on ah oh, don't blame me uh, Jason Bourne did it and now. Like he's getting the blame for something that he had nothing to do. And ah, so okay. he's completely innocent. 
but he's still like in the in the crosshairs because obviously you survived the last movie, so we're going to give you the blame. But now more people are interested in killing him than just like the Treadstones. Right. Right. Okay. And so the whole idea is he's trying to clear his name for the whole movie then, or yeah. So he's he's trying to work his way through and find out like why they're coming after him, um, why he's being framed for all these things, and then you obviously get the different uh, 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 people who are trying to come after him because I think you have the CIA and you also have. Uh, Treadstone um, trying to kill him. In this movie, you also have the exact same situation where another great uh, car scene. I told you earlier, I had to look it up. It's called a Volga. Uh, It's a a sedan. It's the taxi of choice for uh, Russia. Oh, okay. Um, They actually, from what I heard, they actually did film it in Moscow, which must have took like an arm and a leg because it's not easy to do that kind of film there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, even back then, like now, forget it, right? In in 2023, but back then, yeah, I can't. I still can't imagine it being, you know, too easy to do. So that's cool. They get on location though, and so honestly, I mean, it sounds similar to the first one in terms of like he's on the run, but I guess this time he knows why he's running. Maybe that's the difference. It's like <laughs> he understands what he's trying to escape. Yeah, and this one is is more like there's a general understanding that he knows who's coming after him. He has his bearings about him because the first movie, the first two acts, is basically him trying to figure out what's going on. Right. And this one, it's the 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 suspense and the thrill part of it, or the thriller aspect, is that he's on the hook for something that he didn't do. He's finding out about it, and now he's trying to fight back those people. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel that what happens is that they invaded his safety because at the end of the first movie, he felt that like he was safe. He was starting his life all over again. And they poked the bear, and so it's almost like they set him off that nowhere's safe, you can't get away from us, and until you get brought back in the fold or die, uh, we'll keep coming after you. And so that's why in this movie, it was a lot of him trying to figure those things out, but at the same time, he's stripping away like all the people that are in, uh, in Treadstone to find out who these people are and to best defend himself. Because in the first one, it just felt like they were coming after him. But in this one, it, there was like a cat and mouse back and forth trying to find out where he was, who he was talking to on the phone, things of that nature, disappearing. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the, the thing that made me smile the most about the movie was just there's a um, theme song that was done by Moby. and It was at the end of the first movie, and it was like the big okay. ending. In the end of this movie, he's like, if I'm remembering it correctly, he's looking at somebody in a sniper scope, and he's talking to him on the phone. And he's telling him, hey, you know, you're never going to catch me. So just stop. You look tired. How about you take a day off? And then that song just comes in. And it's almost like confirmation, like the James Bond thing, like confirmation. Like, yeah, he's back. This guy is like ready to go at it. Nice. Okay. And so is this what like, so it sounds like, I mean, so, and I guess this is kind of a trope of movie trilogies. The first one always has closure where if, if it doesn't make enough money, at least it's a complete story. But if it's successful, they're like, no, we're going to stretch this out into, you know, trilogy is usually the most common. So, like, does this one end where, like, it's got a definitive ending or is this like a classic second movie that's leading into a third where, like, no, it's like, no, you have to see the third one now? I don't feel like at the end when I was in the theater, I watched it. I felt there was a second one, but I knew there had to be. Uh, OK, yeah, yeah. Like it, you just you just knew that like you said it's the trope that the first one ended in such a finite ending just like the matrix a finite ending all of a sudden it goes it's too much cash to be made here man let's just try to stretch this thing out yes um and so i felt after seeing that movie they were definitely going to stretch out. i had no idea where they were going to go with it because clearly you know he's he's didn't clear his name and be innocent but he's shown like i'm not somebody to mess with because to me i i told my wife if you just think of how many millions of dollars uh the government has tried to 
disavow this man, kill this man, how many lives have been lost. I would be like, there's no need for a third one. Let's just leave him alone. Right. Yeah. Well, and because, again, you mentioned The Matrix. That was literally the first thing I thought of. Like, the, the first one had a great ending. It was like, that was a great experience. And they're like, no, we're going to make a sequel. And then, of course, the end of the second one, you're like, okay, no, this literally ties into the third one. Uh, but even, like, back to, like, Star Wars, man. Like, episode four. Like, you know, the first Star Wars movie was a, a complete story. It had a good ending. There was still stuff that they could do, but you didn't have to. You felt good. Yeah. And then Empire Strikes Back, excuse me, Empire Strikes Back comes out. And you've got that ending, which, again, sort of felt like an ending, but like, no, they got a lot they have to do. And you have to find out how it happens in the third one. So it sounds like this is kind of similar in that sense of like, it's not like a total closure. Like they're like, no, we're we're, we're going to we're going to close this story out next time. Yeah, I think if you left that movie and you didn't know there was a a, a third one in the, in the installment, like I know some people didn't come back for Ultimatum. OK, you would probably still leave happy because you got enough closure that you felt like it. It came to an end. It's not like how like the Matrix ended, where you have to see part two because everything's hanging in the air. It gotcha. terminated. Okay. It terminated, and you're like, good. And he's, oh, there's a three. All right, I'll sign up for that too. Yep. Okay. All right. So a little, di- so some closure, but at the same time, like, yeah, there's there's enough to go off of for the. So the Born Ultimatum, by the way, it took a little longer to film, so it came out three years later, oh seven. Um, and so this is the, the wraps up essentially the trilogy. Uh, and so let's, yeah, let's go through that. But before we do again, we'll, we'll look at like what's, what's at the box office. And so, you know, we, we took some notes here. So we've got like, uh, let's see, Transformers, obviously huge blockbuster, you know, uh, film. Uh, you got Harry Potter part five. So once again, competing against Harry Potter, you've got another Pixar film out there with Ratatouille. Uh, and then you've got two films that I have, never seen um and often actually confused i think because they both came out in the same year but no country for old men and there will be blood um so yeah man i I guess just in a nutshell you had so many um you had so many heavy hitters there um are there any for you that stood out that you're obviously aside from the born ultimatum i really love there will be blood it was such a slow burn and i don't normally get into slow burns but Daniel Day-Lewis played such a compelling character. Um, I think the funniest thing, have you ever heard of uh, I'll Drink Your Milkshake? No, uh, I might have seen it as a meme on Reddit or something, but yeah. that's from this movie then? It's from this movie. So the premise is that, that there's like, they're digging for oil and this one guy owned the only patch of land he couldn't get, Daniel Day-Lewis couldn't get. And um, in pure Simpson-esque way, he parallel drilled under the guy's uh, uh, oil reserve and he took all the oil out. And so okay. basically, uh, just like in the Mr. Burns episode or whatever. So um, in the movie, he has a guy sit down at a table and he puts a milkshake down and he goes, this is your oil reserve. And this is me. And he walks out of the bar and he holds out his finger and he goes, and this is my straw. And I'm walking all the way over to you. And he sticks his finger to the drink. And I drank your milkshake. There's nothing under your land. It's dirt. And I was like, holy crap. That was like the big <laughs> villain reveal at the end of the movie. Yeah. And so like. That year alone, I think of of all the things. No country for old men. There was like people aging out or whatever. Yeah, I get it. But there will be blood. Was like this big thing. That if you could sit through it because it was such a slow burn, it was so rewarding to see like the ultimate villain turn because you couldn't understand why Daniel J. Lewis was doing all the stuff he did. And then when you get to that big scene, you're like, wow. Now and it so, all makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it all makes sense. And so now when you're looking at stuff like the Born Ultimatum, like that's the kind of thing you have to, to compete with. And I, I secretly do believe that that the people in Hollywood, they're looking at the movies and going, what could accompany this? What could be a, a, a competition for this? Because as much as this There Will Be Blood was a slow burn, the Born Ultimatum 
was on fire from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, I heard, I'm probably going to know it wrong, but there's over 1,000 takes in the Bourne Ultimatum from like all the different angles they had to do for the movie because they wanted the movie just to be fast-paced all the way, all the way. Yeah. Um, and I think if you look at the other movies that we talked about earlier, these were more uh, outside of like Transformers. These movies are more pacing of a story arc. They're trying to build something out. This all born of me was like, look, they're coming after him. And what he's going to do is try to uh, uh, kill off Treadstone and just end the whole operation. And yeah. so with that being the beginning of the movie, Jason Bourne is just like, go, 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 go from from uh, from the very beginning of the movie. I I think the the, the funniest piece of um, the, the Bourne Ultimatum is that he almost felt like he's Superman. There's a scene yeah. where he's in a car and he literally drives it off of a car park onto another car, rolls out, shoots another car, tires out, gets in another car and drives off all just to get away from a person who's chasing him. And I'm like, I, I wouldn't have survived that. I think I would have done two and then they would have found me on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, okay. Well, let me ask you that then. Cause we talked about how the first, you know, couple of films had a lot of like, you know, like this could actually happen. Do you feel like this one almost jumped the shark in that sense where it was almost too over the top? I think it was too over the top in the sense that yes, they were doing a lot of things in that movie, but I think it was like uh, finally like a release of, cause this is supposed to be like, he's starting to remember more about what's going on in Treadstone. And okay, so yeah. he never gets a full recall of his entire life. And I think that was what they were trying to get up to is like, all right, first movie, he doesn't know who he is. Second movie, redemption for lost love. And then this movie is revenge and it's revenge from like, I think the first 10, 15 minutes were just in full revenge mode. Um, I don't feel like the movie would have been good if they tried to repeat the the previous one's formula. I think this does the rare thing of a trilogy that gets better over time. Gotcha. Um, yeah. where not a lot of people can actually say they can do that. So let's, yeah, let's kind of go through it then. So like, what's the general, like, so the general plot here is, is just more of the same where he's trying to take down Treadstone. He's trying to, to just basically get revenge and, and, you know, tie everything up or yeah so what happens is that, that he's there's a thing called um black blair which is an upgrade to the treadstone project and he is actually trying to get back at that and to like destroy uh the direct to, to to get the people who are in charge of the upgrade to treadstone because he doesn't want any more of this out in the world right yeah but and i i don't think i'm wrong with this all the other ones were in europe he took this one to america which is like a big deal because First of all, how does this man travel? I don't know how, but he gets between countries in Europe. It's like, okay, yeah, it's all connected. But I want to say this one was all in New York, which like in a, in a post 9-11 world, blowing up buildings, stuff of that nature, I didn't think they were going to do it um, in New York. And I think it, it really did blow me away because I want to say he was in Manhattan for most of the movie yeah. um, doing a lot of the like blowing up stuff. And, and well, there was a piece where he was in Waterloo um that was at the very beginning but yeah for it being most of it in new york that was just crazy for me at that time yeah okay so i mean this this comes out in 2007 it's it's the culmination of this story that's been going on for the past five years as far as you know you know the, the other two films what's how, i mean how does it end is it like because i know i do know that he comes back as jason Bourne in a future movie but from what i understand when this came out this was supposed to be it right this was the end of the story yeah it's supposed to be that he, he escapes and that's like, we're completely done. The, um, going back to memes or whatever, that's the meme where, uh, the guy goes, Oh my God, it's Jason Bourne. Uh, where he's 
there's a guy in the Waterloo train station and he's trying to, to get away. And Jason Bourne is trying to help him escape. And all these different operators trying to come after the guy meet up with him in a hallway. And Jason just like kills all of them and takes one gun, looks right to the camera. And the guy goes, Oh my God, it's Jason Bourne. As if like, they couldn't know, they didn't know who was doing it up to this point, who this guy was working with. And when they found out it was Jason Bourne, um, it was a big deal. There was a big fight with a guy named Desh. And I think that to me is definitively the best fight uh, because it goes back to what I was saying, where everything was a weapon. This man took a towel picked it up, tried to choke him with it. He took out a book and he slammed it on the guy's head and then he was hitting the book so it'd be a wider thing to hit him in the face with. Yeah. And I remember just watching it going, this is insane. He had a rooftop. Uh, before that, there was a rooftop chase. They chased him up a building over several rooftops. He jumped into a building. The guy followed him and then that's what they fought in somebody's house. And I always thought it was so convenient that when he gets in these fights, it's always like somebody's empty apartment. I just oh, right, yeah. Somebody opened the door like, whoa, <laughs> close the door back. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> okay. So, all right. I'm assuming, I mean, I got to assume this is, you saw this like opening night, right? Or I mean, in, are you in and around there? Uh, I saw it at the, at the midnight show. Like, okay. So yeah, you were ready. Like this I was, was like- I was ready. I didn't know midnight shows. <laughs> I saw one movie midnight show at the, at the time was um, GoldenEye. And that was like a once in a lifetime thing. And then when this came out, uh, there's a movie theater down down in um, in Gwinnett called the Big Purple. It's a Regal theater, okay, and my yeah. friend goes, "Hey, you like uh, you like that boring guy, right?" So yeah, I said, "You want to go see him at the midnight show?" Sure, this is a perfect movie to see at the midnight show. Yeah, and it was just the 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 feeling was just electric because people were at the midnight show. Decorum goes out. Everybody's yelling and screaming at the screen. Oh, like, oh sure, yeah, yeah, go go. I enjoyed it more because I saw it later on on a date, just quiet. And I was like, it's not as intense when nobody's like screaming for Jason Bourne to like fight back. Yeah. Well, I think honestly, a full theater of enthusiasm, I don't care if it's midnight or whatever, but like if you've got a theater full of people that are like not being disrespectful, but like go really into it, yeah. that makes any movie better, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, this is action, obviously, but even like a comedy movie, right? Like, I do not enjoy watching comedy movies alone for the yeah. most part. Like I'm never going to laugh at a comedy movie when I'm watching it by myself. I don't care what it is. Uh, but I saw Borat in the theaters five times because every time there was going to be people that hadn't seen it and were laughing their ass off. And it just makes it such a good experience. So I, I mean, dude, a full theater anytime, like, and if it's people that are like into it, like that's the best, you know, I don't now full theater full of like crying kids for whatever. No, yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 you know, that can go pound sand but something like this where like yeah people are because i mean this is exciting this was like the big like conclusion so yeah i imagine there was a lot of hype around it i didn't even know what it did at the box office but i gotta imagine it was you know pretty successful you know being kind of the the conclusion of the to the trilogy yeah i I don't remember what it made in the box office but i'm i'm with you because one of the benefits is that we all see things differently right when we watch movies and when you're in a crowd that's all respectful and and enjoying it to the same level you are the reaction of the crowd can jar, jar you to react to what you're seeing on screen. I didn't see him pick up the towel, but when he picked up the towel, there's like an audible gas, like, oh, what's happening? And like you're getting ready for what's happening. Right. And so that when you go to that one where it's flat, when you say a comedy movie where it's flat, if nobody's laughing, there could be some inside joke and your brain's not even keyed into it because no yeah. one else is reacting with you. Right. Um, I almost feel like, like, at the midnight show, they should be taking people. Like, hey, are you a fan? It's like, yeah, all right, you go to number five. 
If you're not a fan, go to number two. We're trying to make sure everybody has a great experience here. All the two people can just watch it in silence. Right. <laughs> I think they should. Honestly, I feel like that would be, I don't know how you'd market that, but like, you know, I feel like that would be insane. I feel like that would be awesome because then, you know, you're going into a theater with people that are going to enjoy it just as much as you are. You know yeah. what I mean? So, um, good stuff, man. So I know there was one more that came out with him, right? That was, what was that? The born legacy that was, was there, or is that the one with Jeremy Renner? That's Jeremy Renner is the born legacy. Born Legacy's Jeremy Renner, but then they made one more afterwards. It was just called Jason Bourne. Yeah, it's just right? Jason Bourne. Yeah. So like there was like I said, a couple more movies. Do, do you want to go through any of those, or, or do we want to start talking about Hummingbird? Because I know the trilogy was really kind of you know like the big thing from back in the day, and then they they kind of milked it a little longer with with the next two films. Yeah. So Jeremy Renner's one, I know I, I saw that one in the theater, and that one fell flat. I don't have a problem with it, but to to tell the, the story is that. His character's not in the book series of uh, Jason Bourne. He's purely gotcha. created for the movies. And so the thought was, is that if he could have a popular movie, then you would make a like Bourne universe where you have different Treadstone people out there doing different hits. And then the hope was that him and Matt Damon would pair up. And so he would have his own trilogy, basically. And then Renner would then pair up with, uh, with Damon because Damon's trying to take down uh treadstone right so then the 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 i read a thing like what the trilogy is supposed to be like is like you would have in part two damon start going wait a minute who's this other guy and then yeah. they then say hey we got to take this down together and i thought it was a good idea but i think the where that movie fell flat is that i remember watching the whole movie and the biggest action scene was at the end and i remember my wife after the action scene the credits started rolling how did we get one good action scene and it turned off right right like yeah. i don't make so- any sense well, because that's what I, and again, I've never seen it. So like, but that's, that was the thing I heard. I was like, this was like, A, like people actually really wanted Matt Damon, right? Yeah. And then B, like it just, yeah, it just was not, it just, because it was a totally separate story. And, and I, I can imagine like anytime there's a fourth in a series, even if it's like a totally different character they're following, like you just went through an, an exhausting trilogy with a big story that wrapped up, you know, you're, now you're expecting people to start over again with something that they're it's not even like it's a brand new film like okay like if this was a totally different franchise it's you know and, and it wasn't related to born maybe it would have been more successful but like you're trying to compare it to like so i'll give you an example a more recent example like i'll, I'll be honest i have not enjoyed any not any i haven't enjoyed most of the stuff that's come out from marvel after endgame because i just don't care anymore like i, I either i need to reset or something because it's just it, it's it's trying to keep it going after it's already ended almost you know what i mean i don't i'm trying to figure out how to explain but do do you know what i'm saying as far as like i think what your problem is that you 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 came in with iron man with high or low expectations i came with low expectations and got blown away yeah and so you're kind of just building up building up end game was this big blow off and then they go hey you want to do another world building? You're like, no, I'm tired. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing is they're expecting you to start doing homework again. And and quite frankly, at an even more rapid pace with how many shows and movies are coming out. So it's like, I just, I don't have time for that. Like if they did one Marvel movie a year and no shows, I could probably get on board with that. But the fact that there's like two or three movies, there's two or three shows every year or two, like it's just so much and you have to know what's going on the entire time and you have to have the time for it all. And it just, I just don't. So I'm wondering if it was like, maybe not to that level, but that, that, that fatigue of the Bourne movies. So when this one came out, like it just, and it wasn't the same, people were like, nah, this is good. We're good. Like that, that let's, let's stick with the trilogy. Like, is that how you felt about it? Like, did you prefer the trilogy over this new fourth one? The same feeling I have for this, is the same feeling I have for Marvel, what they should have done to fix both of their problems is 
pretend we already saw the beginning of okay. this guy's storyline. If we were to start off with Jeremy Renner blowing up stuff and trying to figure out our way, we would excuse the fact that we don't have a background story because we already got Jason Bourne's background story. If right. you're saying, I'm from Treadstone too, I don't need to know your backstory. I literally just lived it for this last guy. Right. And if he would have just ran off with that, I think that he could have at least gotten a sequel to spread his wings a little bit more and to show that how much better his character can be. Because I think Jeremy Renner was a really good um, action star. And I, I, I told him, give the man credit. Nobody liked him as Hawkeye. Uh, and as Hawkeye, he showed up in the Thor movie. He was one of the reasons why the Avengers had a hard time. And then he gets this Bourne movie and everybody goes, oh, okay, well, I guess he's an action star. And, you know, you know yeah. Matt Damon wasn't, so maybe he can do this. And then he didn't. And I'm like, but he had so much potential because he had he had the look. He had a great sequence at the end. It's just not enough. Nope. And and quite frankly, I mean, to me, he's Hawkeye. That's all <laughs> I see when I see him. Like, that's Hawkeye. I can't see him as anything else, which is I, th- I don't think it's a bad thing. I think he's great. That's one of the few Disney like se- Disney Plus series I actually did like was Hawkeye. Um, I just I, I think Jeremy Renner is great. But yeah, he's Hawkeye. That's I, it. I won't lie to you. I, I <laughs> did not enjoy him in Thor because I didn't really like Thor. And I, he started to grow on me just like Loki. He started to grow on me. And when you got to the the, the, the Hawkeye series, the big fight at the end, um, spoiler alert if anybody's hasn't seen it yet, but it's been out for right. long enough, you should have. Um, I thought he was going to die. And so the scene where Kingpin comes over or whatever, and, no, uh, where Natasha Romanoff's sister comes over and tries to kill him, and then he convinces her not to, and she goes... You get to live, Clint Barton, and walks away. I'm like, oh my god, thank goodness he's still right. alive. <laughs> uh, yeah, we need to protect this man at all costs. Yeah, so um, good stuff. Oh, man, yeah, I I need. I actually, funnily enough, um, you can judge me if you want to. I own the original trilogy on Blu-ray, and I've only ever seen the first one. So I just I just need to sit down and watch them because yeah, I feel like now. Let me ask you this: like, I don't know if I'd have time to watch all three in the same day, but like, is it worth it to like watch them like? like back to back to back in terms of like two, like three days in a row or like do you let them breathe and then kind of come back to them? Um, for the born series, you could probably just speed through it. I'm not even yeah. kidding you because they, they, is it more enjoyable though? Like do you get more out of it if you do that versus like letting them breathe for like a, like wait a week in between. I would say don't let it breathe because I think that the, the nuances of what's going on, um, was lost on me between the gaps. And so to prepare for this, I watched, each movie one night of rogue. I have kids. I can't sit down for three, three whole movies. But exactly. Every yeah. night I saw, and I remember when I watched the second one. I was like, "Holy crap! That's the same guy from the first movie." <laughs> <I> <laughs> there didn't it realize is. That. <laughs> you get even more out of it. So that's yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, no, that's that's great. Good stuff there. So listen, let's 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 talk about you. Let's talk about uh, first off. You know, is this this is your first novel? That's that's is you know, or is it out? Is it coming out? What's I don't even know when the uh, it's, it's is. currently out. So uh, it is okay. I did my first like so when you do like a, your first novel, you like what they call like a soft launch where you don't tell anybody. You put on Amazon and just try to get everything like uh, it's called your A one content. So making like you have your your summaries and your pictures and everything done because this is my first time publishing one i've written several books but i've never had one published and so okay um i had to get all that done so when i finally got the a1 content working and it, it looked good to me and to some of my beta viewers and thank you uh as well uh dan for for viewing some of those videos and giving me the thumbs up oh, um yeah. then i was like okay now i'm ready to let the world see it because you don't want to see being an indie author you don't want somebody to see an unfinished uh a website because they're gonna think your book must be unfinished as well Sure. So yeah. I wanted to make sure it was polished. So yeah, that's that's pretty much why it 
in your world, it's like, oh, is it out yet? Well, that's because I didn't really send out a whole, it's it's out here, because I was like, I want to make sure it's good first. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I got you. No, absolutely. So, and it's funny, because like, when I when we first met, I mean, we, we honestly, our, our biggest thing we would talk about a lot was like wrestling, right? Because that yeah. was, we both love pro wrestling. But, uh, you know, and then I, I figure out, I, I kept trying to remember how I found out you were writing a book. You might have even just told me, but like, what was it that inspired you to write you know, this book and, and, and writing and like, if you always, it sounds like you've written before. So like maybe just a passion for writing, but what was it that was it? The, was it the born films that inspired you to, to write this? Like, you're like, I want to do this too. Or did that just come, you know, come, come again, uh, excuse me, come about organically. So it, it came about, um, partly what you're saying here, but the, the, the short version of the, of the backstory was that I was, uh, working at this, uh, company doing it work and I was uh workforce reduction to let go. And my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, said, if you could pick anything that you'd want to do for the rest of your life and you would enjoy, what would you do? And I said, I always liked writing. And so she goes, all right, well, then write something. So I wrote three chapters to a different novel, and she really liked it. And so I was like, okay. So I started doing like blogging and short stories, just trying to do anything to get into writing. And so yeah. Hummingbird came about was that the novel that I, I originally wrote that she liked, I couldn't get anybody to get in on it. Um, people said they felt like I was trying to build up too big of a world at the same time. And I need to do a slower burn kind of be, uh, uh, where I'm building into that world instead of just dropping in the middle of it. And so I remember watching the, the born identity and being like, I wish I could have that kind of like badass character, but a female and being uh, a part Jamaican. I said, I want to be a Jamaican hero because I don't see any. I really yeah. don't. And so I was like, I, I, that would make it stand out. And so that's where that's where Hummingbird came from. It's it's part, you know, Born Identity. It's part um, the movie Limitless or the book Limitless, where there's uh, a drug that uh, basically the, the, the purpose of the Hummingbird is that it, it um, increases the person's ability to perform in the uh, in, in war times. Okay, and so yeah. she's trying to, to, to stop that from happening. And so I was like, I'm trying to marry different like sci fi things, but as well as having it being like a a uh, born identity thing where it's a a spy thriller because you don't know what's happening next the character doesn't know what's happening next and even though it's pushing forward this espionage thriller um aspect there is this sci-fi like undertone to keep people interested who might be into sci-fi like ooh if this sci-fi thing gets into the wrong hands you know everything could go wrong in the world today yeah well, and you know, because, you know, I, I had the chance to read the first chapter and, you know, honestly, the vibes I got, too, is, I mean, I, you know, we talked about Tom Clancy, but honestly, like Michael Crichton novels, right, where they kind of marry that that sci-fi technology with like the military or whatever, or, you know, Jurassic Park being an example of like messing with, you know, technology in a futuristic way. Um, well, I mean, do you like Michael Crichton? Is he an author that you've read? I've read uh, some of his work. I the, the funny thing is, you would think writing it i would try to read more in that genre but my fear is that you imitate what sure, you're reading yeah. and so if i'm writing something that's in a genre that i don't normally read i can't pretend that it's like this fresh idea but i at least know it's nothing that was influenced by that genre so when uh yeah. twilight and stuff was going on people were telling us oh just write something with with vampires and werewolves and i was like no i'm gonna stick to this because if i read that that might come into what i'm trying to do and then push me away from what i'm trying to get accomplished right yeah well and that's because you know then you're just you'd be accused of like oh you're just kind of jumping on the bandwagon and, and putting out stuff you know which may or may not be successful but yeah sticking to your guns man and i, th I think that's i think it's great so 
All right. You want, do you want to talk through? Cause I know, you know, one of the things you were excited about was, you know, talking about kind of the parallels between the Bourne films, um, and, and, you know, hummingbird. Do you want to kind of talk through some of those then? Yeah. So, um, one of the, the tropes that they tell you when you take writing class is never to lead with amnesia. And so, <laughs> and so the fact that the born identity did, I remember raising my hands like, well, that's bull crap. Cause, uh, this yeah. born had amnesia. And the guy was like, if you're good, you can lead with amnesia, but most people <laughs> should not lead with amnesia. And so, um, in the, in the hummingbird book, the first three chapters, um, you get an idea of like how great of a, a CIA operative that, uh, Kim Fenton is the main character. But then, um, she gets hit with, uh, Hummingbird has this uh, two-part component, a thing called the forget-me-not, which erases your memories. And yeah. the hummingbird is the accelerator that makes you do like the, the wartime stuff. And so she gets captured and her mind gets erased. And so now the parallels between Jason Bourne and her are almost neck and neck. She can remember like how to fight, how to use a gun, how to drive, like you know how to defend herself uh, and things of that nature. And even in the book, I try to draw that out because I thought that Born did a really good job of trying to show you that, but in writing, you have to draw it out a different way. And this is from a first person perspective. So she has an actual conversation where she goes, I know what a car is. I know it comprises of four tires and engine and seats, but I don't remember what my first car was. And so it's like, it's showing you that where those lines are drawn in yeah. that amnesia like state. And I thought it was funny. I showed it to a friend of mine who, who, who was telling me that don't start with amnesia. And when she got to chapter four, I was like, ah, amnesia. I said, it's too late now. <laughs> You're too far in to turn around. That's right. It almost reminds me of like, like, like some classic video games where like you start off super overpowered and then you lose all your powers and you got to get it all back slowly, but surely like you start off as a badass, So you know what you're capable of and then you got to get it back. Right. It's, it's kind of a similar journey. It sounds like for Kim Fenton. What was that? It was like a Mega Man X where you had all those powers and like, yeah. you lose like, the first villain and then you're gone. <laughs> right. Or like, I was thinking like God of war, you know, the oh, yeah, sequels yeah, yeah. to God, of war, you know, or, or like Castlevania symphony of the night on PlayStation one. So there's all these different ones where like, yeah, you start up so you can see like what they're truly capable of. And then, you kind of you hit the reset button and then they, they work their way back and then they kind of earn it like you see them earn it and then you know i feel like you've got that bond with the character at that point so that you want them to earn it back yeah. you know what i mean um so anyway i'm sorry I, t I totally cut you off there with that but as far as like so her journey so talking about the amnesia what about like the rest i mean i don't want to give away the plot here on the on the podcast obviously i want people to buy the book um but you know what are some other parallels with with you know the born films um so the other parallels is like you have Treadstone as being like this ultimate evil. And so um, the human trafficker is it. The, so to give you a time frame. This is a, a post 9-11 world. Okay. Um, there was a lot of facts I put in this book. For example, um, there was a World Cup in 1998 where majority of the people who came to France for the World Cup actually came for prostitution and not for the games. Oh. That, that's like an established fact that was like out there in one of these human trafficking um, seminars I went to, because I've been like a big advocate of trying to end it. And so yeah. I thought Taken did pretty good. Maybe if I tried to raise awareness in a different way um, to keep pushing that narrative, people need to be more aware of it. And so anyways, the whole point was that, that, that she's trying to dismantle a system just like Jason Bourne is. Um, same way, it's this ultimate evil that you can't, it's not tangible. And so mm -hmm. because it's not tangible, she can't really understand where to take it apart, but she knows she has to. Um, the whole amnesia piece is that 
she's trying to uh, stop Hummingbird from being, it's a program that the American government's making um, and she's trying to stop it from being sold on the black market because she's like, if this trafficker gets this program, he could sell it on the black market, make so much money that he could be unstoppable because now he's just making money hand over fist. And so when her mind gets uh, gets erased and um, she's trying to figure these things out, she is saved by uh, Dr. Reed's. No, sorry, not Dr. Reed's. Uh, it's the um, Jesse, Jesse Larson, Dr. Jesse Larson. And so Dr. Jesse Larson is her savior who gets her out of that. But he tells her, look, I think you lost your memory. So let me help remind you that your mission was to stop this being sold on the black market. And he gives her a hit list and says, you have, it's like 11 o'clock at night or wherever you have till dawn to kill off all of these people. And when they're gone, there's no one left to sell this on the black market and the world is safe again. And she's like, okay, but how do I know you're telling me the truth? And he's like, I'm the only one that can revive your memories. And so you have to do it because if you don't, You'll be walking around aimlessly with no memory, and you'll see the whole world being destroyed around you, wishing you could have stopped it. So where's the where's the problem? You end it. I give you back your memories by the end of the day. Where's the problem? And so that's like the parallels with Jason Bourne kind of end because she wants she's doing this to be made whole. Jason is never yeah. going to be made whole, and I think that is where the differences is what would make people want to stick around because who would wake up imagine you wake up without your memories and some person says i can restore them for you but you have to do this right not to say that you would go on this killing spree or anything but if they told you this is an ultimate evil and this is the only way to stop the only person to stop it that is the most call to action like you're a superhero save the day kind of way of doing it yeah no that's i mean that's it's spelled out pretty clearly i would say (laughs) like there's really only one choice there yeah so awesome man well listen that's Sounds incredibly exciting. Well, let me ask you this. I don't want to spoil too much, but you know, much like the the born identity led into the born supremacy, um, do we can we expect potential sequels to Hummingbird in the future? Uh, so funny enough, yes, I already have um, forty thousand words, forty two thousand words written on the second novel. The hope is that it'll be finished before the end of year, and I'll be re- releasing it September of next year. Nice. Um, so one of the benefits of being an indie writer is that I don't have to wait on the machine to deem when I can release. So if let's say you're a writer and I go, Dan, this is the greatest piece of literature ever read. See you in 18 months. And that's literally what happens. They put you on the shelf for 18 months and they try to make sure they work you in a schedule that works best for you and all this stuff. And yes, they're doing it to gear you for success. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong uh, with that. My hope is that the fans would appreciate that instant gratification of hey i don't have to wait 18 months i have to wait three years to hear back from this guy i'm gonna get a new book every year to keep this narrative going forward because my hope is the book that i started off with with my wife uh back when she was my girlfriend i'm ultimately trying to build towards that like i said they said this is too much of a concept so i was okay i'll slow burn you into it that you're going to get these action novels. And when you finally get to the big one, because the best part about it is that that one's already been edited and been waiting in the wing to, yeah. <laughs> to be released. So I can't wait to get to that one. So I just push the button and go, boom, it's gone. <laughs> finally. Yeah. That's perfect. Um, awesome, man. Well, I'm excited and um, I definitely am going to check it out. So let's it's talk me through it. So, I mean, 
in this day and age, you know, you got to ask, like, is it digitally released? Is it going to be paper, like paper, like physical copy you can go buy? What's the uh, what's the plan here? It's on Amazon only. Um, I'm doing something okay. that a lot of indie authors don't want to do, but I released it on paper as well as digital. Okay. Um, the reason why a lot of people push back on it is that um, I actually got mine edited professionally, so I feel very confident that it's grammatically correct and there shouldn't be a lot of like pushback in that realm. Sure. Um, yeah. And so because of that, it's a paper and digital, but a lot of people, what they'll do, and it's a good, it's a good strategy. You do a digital release and somebody goes, Hey, you know, chapter three sounds clunky. You go back, you edit chapter three, upload it to Amazon. And then your Kindle goes, Hey, there's a new update to this book and it downloads and fixes it for you. Right. And so what a lot of indie people do is wait three or four revisions in before they do a, a, a paper print. But I was telling my wife, I, said, I just want to, have it professionally edited the first time out, professional printed, because some people just like that book in hand feel. Um, yeah, of course. That's that's the way we did it this time around. I'm still looking for if there's anybody out there that that uh, can do a, a that is a female voice that wants to do uh, audiobook because I really want to do the audiobook because your podcast is what gets me through um, my morning routine. When I do my workouts and stuff or my drive, and I know there's a lot more people like me that not only do they want to listen to podcasts, they want to listen to books. And yeah, oh yeah. I'm like, this is something that I'm like, oh man, if somebody could do that, I don't have the the, the feminine voice to uh do Kim. I think if I tried to do it, people are like, what's he doing? I have to explain. I'm the author, okay? So give me a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard times trying to do these kind of things. That's fair. Yeah. Well, and you know, truth be told, we did talk about, you know, me maybe trying to help out with that too. And I was like, dude, I just can't like, I mean, this character's great, but I feel like it would be weird having a clearly male voice voicing a clearly female character. Um, so yeah, listen, if you're listening and you know anyone that uh is a is a female narrator and they're looking for work, uh, we'll hook you up with Odie in here to uh to to get you to get you going with Hummingbird because I think uh, I think it deserves it. I think it deserves to have an audiobook. Uh I'd say quite frankly, I've probably listened to more books in the last five years and i have read them um you know i i do need to read more but i mean audiobooks let me ask you a question about that because i always i I love to get people's opinions on this when it comes to audiobooks like when when you when you listen to one start to finish do you say i've read the book or do you say i listened to the book like how do you categorize that (laughs) it's gonna sound really bad if it's new i will say i read the book if it's old i'll say i listened to the book and here's the reason why uh if you listen to the newer books they're reading it to you, right? Yep. The older books often have like tracks in it where he's walking up the stairs, you know, thump, thump, thump. And it feels like, like a drama, like a radio drama. Exactly. It sounds like a radio drama. And yeah. so like I've gotten some of the older books. I thought Audible pruned those out because that, that shouldn't be on Audible anymore. And I've yeah. never listened to one. And I'm like, no, I'm not listening to this 1920s version of, you know, <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird. I'm going to get the one that's actually being read. So right. I do consider it reading. I think people think it's a it's a it's a cop out, but let me tell you one of the reasons why I enjoy audiobooks. I sometimes have difficulty um reading large words. And so sure. when I hear somebody sit there and go, he's being disingenuous. Hold on, stop. How do you spell that? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you're reading, and now I think there's a benefit, obviously, like if you're reading on like a Kindle, you can like look up words on the spot to say, oh, what does that mean? Okay, cool. But if you read a paper book, like you don't have that necessarily. So, um, you know, sometimes, and or like I always love, you know, hearing an audiobook, you know, 
narrator pronounce words in a book that like I know I have read mm-hmm. just to be like, oh, I've been I've been saying it wrong my whole life. Like I just I'll use uh, like Harry Potter as an example. Like I always pronounced, you know, the character Hermione. I always pronounced it Hermione because no one ever read the book to me. Yep. Um, and so that I finally heard the audio. But actually, I probably saw the movie first. But, you know, I heard the audiobook and like just hearing them pronounce things so differently. So, yeah, you get you get a very different vibe out of it. And and I I, I prefer to listen to audiobooks at, at this point because you can, you know, there it's way easier to listen to them doing things that you can't do with a regular book that you're like you can read a book on a treadmill but i'm not going to go for a run and read a book right you're gonna or lift weights and read a book you know but you could listen to one for sure and still get just as much out of it i feel and i feel that the inner the the point of an audiobook is the narrator is trying to keep you engaged and i think your inner monologue will get boring like and then she opened up the hey why don't we eat a pizza isn't that better right. and all of a sudden you're just like sidetracked but that narrator straight to the point never never yep. delays and gives Keeps you, that you on track time. exactly no you're absolutely right so dude i'm so excited for you um because i know you've been working on this for a while this is something that you are really proud of as you should be um i will make sure to include a link to purchase the book uh in the episode description here so um Seriously, man, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. I want to get you back on um, to talk about, you know, other stuff as well. You know, and, you know, I hopefully at that point will be able to introduce you as a soon to be best selling author. But I'm very confident that that's going to happen. So um, seriously, truly, congratulations, Odian. I'm so proud of you. And uh, I'm so excited to see how the world, uh, you know, experiences hummingbird for the first time i can say as a longtime listener and fan of this podcast it's it's an amazing opportunity to actually be able to we talk like this all the time and to we actually do. have yeah. it like recorded it feels like it's productive <laughs> yeah right yeah it's listen it's on the record now man yeah exactly so yeah uh thank you dan for for opening up your, your podcast and uh the invitation this was a lot of fun um yeah it's very rare that i can actually talk at nauseam about stuff that i like and yeah. uh, i'm just glad we we're able to do it and i can't wait to do it again My pleasure, man. We'll definitely get you back on. And guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, make sure you are checking us out on Facebook, uh, on YouTube at Generation S Podcast, on Instagram, on TikTok, uh, and recommend this show to a friend. I always tell you, like, if you know somebody who likes this and and Odie and you are like one of my biggest fans because you're always sharing my stuff out with people. So, um, guys, if you like this show, if you like talking about you know, growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s, tell a friend, uh, leave a review on iTunes or on Spotify. Um, what that does is that makes the podcast more visible to everyone else. So just go in there, leave a quick review, takes two seconds, uh, and it really helps me out. It helps the show out tremendously. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. And as always, we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.